Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, where we explore all things related to motherhood, from career and relationships to parenting and wellness. Join me, Nina Spears, your baby expert and host, as we dive into topics that matter to mothers, share personal stories and insights, and interview experts and parents who can provide valuable advice and perspectives. Whether you're a first-time mom just starting out or a seasoned pro, we've got you covered. So grab a cup of tea, sit back, and let's Chick Chat. Hello and welcome. I'm Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, your host. And today I have Britt Riley here to chick chat with us. Britt is an entrepreneur and mom of two and the CEO and founder of the Haven Collection. Haven is the first network of fully licensed daycares in the United States to offer flexible childcare, unlimited workspace, and fitness to all member families. Prior to founding the Haven Collection, Britt was the principal of Established LLC, her marketing consultancy organization. Britt's inspiration for founding Haven came in between feeding her newborn and trying to catch some Z's when she started wondering how people do it all. And so her business was born out of her own need for a better solution. Britt is the co-chair of the Founders Network's Women's Leadership Committee and has been recognized by the Harvard Business School Association of Boston. Britt currently resides in Portsmouth, Rhode Island with her husband, Matt, and two young daughters, Harper and Zoe. Today, we're chatting with Britt about childcare in the U.S. and childcare solutions for modern families. We'll discuss how parents with young children can be successful as parents and professionals. So let's chick chat and learn more. Hi, Britt. It's so wonderful to have you on our show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yes. So for every episode, we always like to get to know our guests a little bit better. We'd love to hear about you, your background, and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah. So I am a mom of two. I don't think that is too much of a surprise given the business that I'm now in. But my background was in marketing. So I spent my whole you know, career working in marketing and doing launches for all sorts of different products. But yeah, when I had kids, I realized how hard the whole childcare balancing act, the juggle, all the different words that you hear, you know, I wasn't really prepared for that. So I um, kind of launched into what we're doing now. But yeah, my background is in marketing. I absolutely loved it. I started my career at Patagonia, which is an incredible company to work for certainly paved the way for my thought process. And yeah, I've got six and seven-year-old daughters now who are in their second day of school. So That's so exciting and very, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. One, what a great background that you have. And yes, I'm sure you relied heavily on childcare. And that's what my next question was, is like, how did you become so passionate about childcare, especially for the whole family? So I definitely, I can say that, you know, I worked for over 10 years in my career and I absolutely love working. I've always been someone who really has enjoyed my career. And so by the time I had kids, I was 31 and I kind of felt like, okay, well, I've got my job down. I know what I'm doing. Let's do this. Okay. Let's add some kids to the mix, like briefcase on one side, child on the other. Let's go. And the moment that they handed me Harper, who's our older daughter, 
I realized, okay, I understand my job, but this is, it's the challenge of a lifetime without a doubt. And there's no manual. So it didn't take too long for me to start experiencing all the different things, which I found to be unnecessary issues for modern day parents. And the more that I thought about it, the more I realized, you know, the way that childcare is being done now is the same exact way that it was being done 35 years ago. But the problem is the parents who are in the workforce are doing things very differently now. There's dual income, you know, working households or single parents who have to work. You know, there's not really an opportunity for things to operate the same way that it did so long ago when we were kids. And so the more that I started thinking about that, once I had Zoe, who's she's now six, then I had a one-year-old and a newborn, and I just felt like everything was spread so thin. Absolutely working out was as far on the back burner as you could possibly get, but I was trying to figure out how to do my job and still really excel at that and grow in that, and then also be a good parent, you know, and I've always wanted to have kids too. So I started losing sleep over the idea that it needed to be done differently, you know, especially the, the cost of childcare is so high for very good reasons, although it needs help. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it needed something more. It needed something more for all the different parents who have similar problems to the ones that I had. That was where I started thinking about adding there's a whole first floor, right, of childcare and great childcare, fully licensed from zero to five, where kids can be dropped off and parents can leave if they'd like to. But what I couldn't stop thinking about was adding a second floor where the parents can head upstairs after they drop off and they can have a conversation with another parent about a sleepless night or teething or whatever it is so that they feel one part of a community, but then also able to go and set up a desk and work or work out, you know, Peloton bikes and treadmills and all the things which you don't really have time for. And once you have something in your mind as an entrepreneur, which is a term that I've never really been super comfortable with, but it's true. Once you have something that you can't stop thinking about, you just have to go with it for as long as you can. I've had hundreds of ideas in my life that I took them as far as I could. It never got past, you know, a few conversations with people and then it just wasn't the right thing. But this one was, I've still never doubted it. I mean, it's been six years and I absolutely feel wholeheartedly that this is the solution for, for parents and for their kids and for future mental health of our next generations. I mean, having parents who aren't juggling everything, who don't feel completely spread thin and who do have time and the mental capacity to be able to really engage with their kids at the end of the day is critical. It is absolutely critical. So yeah, so we ended up opening Haven. It took a ton of work, lots of learning things that I never thought I'd have to learn and asking questions that I never knew I'd have to ask of people. And you know, now it's been growing for the past four years. We have three locations that are open in two states and we're launching a franchise program next week, which is so exciting because hopefully we can get these in as many communities as possible. I love how you say that. You're right. I mean, our communities are just, our lives have completely changed from what it used to be 50 years ago to what it is today. And things have to evolve as life evolves. And so that takes into consideration childcare. I want to say the school systems as well. <laughs> There's so oh, many yeah. that can really Without a doubt. 
grow and change. And we love that that sparked a passion in you. And it's obvious that you have that. So yeah. And was that just all speared from your personal experience as a mom, that passion? Like what was that experience like for you when you had your daughters, like choosing childcare? And what was that like? So there were a few different issues, obviously feeling as though I kind of wasn't showing up in the way which I had, you know, I I really wanted to in my career. And as a parent, I knew that things needed to be structured differently in order for me to achieve those goals. So it was really that kind of, there were a whole lot of experiences there, whether it be touring all sorts of daycares and just feeling overwhelmed by tons of, you know, the walls are completely covered in primary colors. And, the, you know, there weren't atmospheres where I felt like I'm going to go and I'm going to drop the greatest thing that I have ever had in my whole world off and feel at ease about going about the rest of my day. And so that was one of the things which made me think about creating childcare in a different way, where it is much more relaxed. You're helping to create a different, a whole new curriculum, obviously, but also just a different experience of it where you walk into our centers and parents want to stay, you know, it's just a relaxing place to be. And that is our way of helping kids feel confident and at ease and secure and they then have the mind time to go and play and learn all the things that they need to learn through play. So I didn't feel as though, especially for, you know, how expensive it is that we were doing childcare, right? So I thought that that whole system needed to be evolved, you know, it needed innovation and it needed to evolve. And one thing is for absolute certain technology is not going to be the solution to taking care of our babies. You're never going to see the Boston Dynamics robot carrying around a two-month-old baby. So we have to figure it out, you know? And there's a lot of different ways that I thought about going about doing that. So I did a lot of research too, lots of research to make sure it wasn't just me who was having this issue. My marketing brain went to work in the absence of an actual business or place. And can you explain to us, you know, the different types and styles of childcare options that are available to families in the United States? Yeah. So in the United States, and it is obviously very different in other countries, it's childcare from zero to three is private. You know, it's privatized. There are obviously Head Start programs that people can join, which is fantastic. But by and large, the childcare industry in the United States is a private market. So it's lots of childcare centers where typically someone who is now in their late 50s, early 60s opened it 30 years ago. And that was to address their own issues at that time. So it's lots of childcare centers where it's just, you know, one person who saw the issue and they've got that location. For the most part, all fully licensed childcare centers are a drop and go. So, you know, walk up, you drop your child off and out you go. And if it was COVID, it was you drop them off at the door and then you go. And so that really is the way that it's structured. And obviously we are seeing an emergence from three to five of it being added into our public systems, which I think is critical. The number of kids and the number of people who can absolutely, I mean, all of us could benefit from childcare being less expensive, but I think people are seeing what an economic ripple effect there is to people not being able to access childcare. And so adding pre-K and adding 
eventually preschool to the public systems, it will be helpful. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. I have a soon to be six year old and a two and a half year old. And when my son started childcare, it was like, actually, when my daughter, she's only two and a half, like this will tell you just in two and a half years, when we first started her as an infant, bringing her to childcare, it was $1,200 a month. And then she's moved up. She went from infant to young toddler, and now she's in a toddler class. And right now in her toddler class, it costs us almost $1,600 and infant classes are now 2000 to 2100 And I was like, that is only within two years. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it, you're absolutely right. Trying to find accessible childcare that's affordable to people is, it's worrisome for us families because it's like, how can people continue? People will stop having babies <laughs> is really what yeah. it's coming down to. I mean, I think, you know, I've started getting really involved in that larger conversation, working with groups like Moms First, which is a nonprofit, which is working to expand access to childcare through engaging public-private partnerships and starting to go to all the companies who are employing all of these people who either are new parents or will become new parents and helping them understand how important it is to their future that they take care of their employees and their employees' families. You can find lots of charts where there is absolutely a growth in the cost of childcare, which is not even remotely in line with the growth of the GDP in our country. And it is 100% attributed to the rise in pay for child caregivers. So there's very little in terms of federal subsidies for childcare providers to be able to then supplement their educators' salary. And without that, the onus falls 100% on the parents. So childcare providers, certainly, you know, no one's walking away with a yacht. They aren't greedy people. It's certainly not that kind of, there's that reasoning for it. It really is, we want to be able to pay people what they deserve if we did that it would we'd pay them you know a brain surgeon's salary really because that's what they are but even just to stay competitive or to be able to help them actually feel like this is a career which it should be and it is a career for people you have to you know increase their pay in which it's certainly increased quite rapidly over the past three years but over the past you know 20 years it has been going up and the problem is it's still really low comparatively the country is still seeing child caregivers' wages. You know, in some parts of the country, it's well under $14 an hour, well under $20 an hour for leads. And that's really, you know, one of the biggest issues is mm -hmm. you just can't get people for that amount of money. So yeah. the future of the industry will 100% depend upon the support of public, federal, subsidies and them getting involved in the childcare industry and private markets. So until we have all the CEOs, you know, breathing down the neck of people on Capitol Hill, we're going to see little traction. But as soon as they start really realizing the economic ripple effect of this, I hope that we'll start seeing both of those two major players come to the support of parents and certainly to the support of child caregivers. Yeah, for sure. Because you're absolutely right. These child caregivers, they work so hard. They take care of our babies. Yeah. We want them to be paid well. But then when I'm adding up, I'm like, there's 
30 toddlers in this class. I'm paying this. Like they should be making a good salary. So it's just crazy. So it's going to be interesting to see how things kind of evolve. And like you said, I'm excited for the things that you guys are doing because maybe it's going to help make a difference. And also, yeah, having these conversations, starting these conversations and having our listeners listen to them, hopefully it will spark some other conversations to really get something going for parents because it's just... It's going to be crazy if this just continues on this spiking effect. But I want to now know when someone is trying to choose a childcare option for their little one, what are the things or questions that parents should consider when choosing a childcare for their baby? I think it's very important to ask. There's lots of different questions to ask, but one of the main ones is asking about their ratios. You should never see 30 toddlers in a room with one teacher, you should probably see them in a room with no less than four. Oh no, I have them with two. (laughs) So there's ratios. It depends on their age, but certainly there are ratios, which they are different in every state. There are some states which say you can have as many babies in that room with as many teachers as you want. Run, like move, go to another state. What you really want to do is make sure that they're working at Ratios which allow your child to have their attention. You want any teacher, especially, I believe this for from zero through elementary school, you really do want whoever it is who's the lead in that classroom to have the ability, and that is through lower numbers, to actually see how your child's doing and know them so well that they can tell, all right, they're heading in this direction. And also asking, you know, What's the curriculum like? You want to find out if it's just babysitting, which is one end of the spectrum, or if it's something where there is a reason to what they're doing and there's a structure to what they're doing. So the emergent curriculum is really important for zero to five. It's something which, you know, you want to look for play-based. You know, there are different philosophies, which I really love. I Not purely, but Montessori. Reggio Emilia, if you start looking into those different philosophies and you can read about them, it's basically looking for how the child care provider is showing up for the curriculum. And then the other thing is asking what their compensation and their benefits, kind of what their packages that they give their teachers, because you certainly want to look for a place which is taking care of their educators. The childcare industry, just as part of its nature, is a very high turnover industry. It's very hard to predict what the turnover is going to look like in any center. But that's why it's really important for when you're interviewing different childcare centers and providers to find out, you know, what kind of range are you offering to leads and to assistants? What kind of requirements do you have of them? And then are you offering them benefits? I think that those are all things which are very rare in the industry up until recently, but they're critical. And then asking about professional development, you know, asking about the important things like, are people CPR certified? Do you have them do continuing education or professional development? Things like that. It's getting a really good picture of kind of how they show up for their workforce and how they're doing all the things that they can to try and help foster that environment, knowing 
as a parent that there is still going to be turnover. It certainly is just the nature of the industry, which is frustrating, but it's one of the reasons why we all need to thank our child caregivers when we go, when we see them, when we pick up, when we drop off, make sure that we are talking to the child care providers about, are you offering benefits? Because the more people who ask that question of each place, the more they're going to have to think about it. And that's important because you do want to take care of people like that. For sure. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. These are great questions to consider. Also, just thinking about it from the child care givers perspective, asking those questions. We'll also list a bunch of questions that parents can ask when interviewing child care specifically for your child. Like, you know, do you provide food? Do I need oh, to bring absolutely. in that, that and all of those kind of things. So we'll be sure to add, yes. add that. And then also I love how you brought up, because this also was going back to one of my original questions, the styles. We have our kids in a Montessori. So that's one style. Can you list the different type of styles that are available here in the U.S. when it comes to childcare? There are quite a few. There are some which are popular. You're going to find lots of childcare centers in the states who are working on their state. So every state has a set of standards. They've got a set of expectations and standards for the different areas of you know, whether it be dramatic play, social, emotional, you know, different standards, which every center has to work towards in each state. There are lots of places they will look at that and they will basically construct their program off of that. And then there's the ones like Montessori, where that is a, actually, I think today is Maria Montessori's 150 something birthday. Oh, amazing. (laughs) Or it's the Reggio. It's one of those two. But either way, the different philosophies, which are really, they stand out and they get lots of, you know, conversation around them because they're different. They're a philosophy which was created for a reason. They're very well documented in, you know, their success. And Montessori is one of them, without a doubt. Reggio Emilia is another. There's Waldorf, which is, there are different ends of the spectrum, you know, Montessori and Waldorf are kind of on different ends of the spectrum, but it really depends on your child. You know, I think across the board, trying to allow everything to be play-based is really important. And then when you start to hear about emergent curriculums, that's great because it means that your child isn't expected to be in the same box as all of their peers. So an emergent curriculum means that you are meeting each of the children who are in your class where they are. And so just like in Montessori, and this is one of the great things about Montessori that we love, is when you see that they're establishing one child, establishing an interest in any type of thing, you know, just spinning a top, then the next thing that you can think of as that educator is taking it to the next step because you're helping them foster this emerging interest in different things. And that's the stuff that you want your kids to develop during zero to five. You don't need them to be able to, you know, state every state in the country, you know, or their capitals to go into kindergarten. Most kindergarten teachers are going to tell you, we want to teach them how to hold a pencil because a lot of kindergarten teachers 
say, we spend so much time in the beginning of kindergarten years trying to fix habits, which other people, you know, so they really want kids to show up with curiosity, a sense of security, confidence. It's so much more the emotional side of things that you want to look for and establish. So those specific philosophies, Montessori and Reggio are my two favorite, but all of them being based on an emergent curriculum and having it be play-based because at the end of the day, kids learn through play, you know, and we can't take play away from them. They deserve every bit of it that they can, and we should get involved. I agree. (laughs) Yes. That's their job is to play. They learn totally through play. I love that. And one of the, you know, difficult aspects of managing work and parenting is that they both take like a tremendous amount of executive function and oftentimes at the same time. How can parents ease the exhaustion of this struggle? I mean, I am completely biased because I've struggled huge in a very major way with those two things, especially with people being remote. So when you are a remote employee, I've been remote in my career long before COVID But there is a balance there, and it is such an important one to try and find and establish and create, you know, a healthy balance because there's 24 hours in a day and you're typically awake for 12 of them, you know, 12 to 16, right? Or at least your kids are awake for 12 of them. You have to be efficient. And I think that's one of the things which parents, when they're given the opportunity to have these windows and get into a state of flow and be efficient, you get so much done, you know, because you know your time is so valuable. So for me, it's trying to put together those boundaries, making sure obviously that you're able to organize your time. I mean, when you talk executive function, that's all day long, you know, people are have a tendency towards procrastination. You want to work on that as a parent because you're probably not going to get the time you know, that you did in college to pull an all-nighter with that. The energy issue is obviously a factor. So organizing time. And then I am so proud to be able to say that parents who are members of Haven, we have a calculator on our website, which shows the time that you get back. That's the most important thing, right? Time is finite. It's all you've got. The amount of money which you could potentially save your impact as far as your carbon footprint goes by bringing childcare, workspace, and fitness. And then we've got massage therapists and stuff like that under one roof. They save, on average, people who utilize our the suite of services that we have, save 670 hours a year. That's 29 days. That's a month. Just by not driving, not having to go and do the huge shuffle. And that, to me, is the solution. That, to me, shows that you're saving a whole month of your time, but also you're able to show up to work, not have to waste all the time driving. You get to get stuff done. You don't feel that kind of guilt of, you know, I left them there and then now I'm in this office and they're just making me work nine to five, you know, and I sit here playing some game half the time because it's just not an efficient use of my time. So when people are able to bring those things under one roof, you actually feel emotionally so much better because you're around like-minded people. You all have kids in common. You are able to actually focus on your work. You know, you can go grab a cup of coffee and look out the picture window and watch your kids playing. 
And that immediately fills your cup back up. You know, that immediately allows your brain to be like, all right, they're good. I'm going to go do my work. And then you actually get stuff done. So to me, it's why I feel so passionately about our solution and getting it in as many communities as we can, because it absolutely does allow people to have so much time back, have so much emotional energy back. And yeah, and to be able to feel like they're showing up with their kids and feeling engaged. And it really, you know, from a mental health standpoint, it's also very impactful. So I wholeheartedly believe that that solution is the thing which does it. But Awesome. So that's essentially what you mean when you're talking about, you know, childcare for the whole family. You're talking about, it's not just drop off your kid and that's their childcare. It's really, okay, here, we'll help you take care of your child while you're also taking care of what you need to take care of. So that's myself, my work, my Mm -hmm. wellness, that sort of thing. Yeah. And in the very beginning, you know, obviously, and we all know this and there's lots of data to support it, Women are, you know, if you've read Fair Play by Eve Rodsky, or women, they absorb so much more of the demands of being a parent, but they also, by and large, have want or need to have a career while they're parents. And so when I created this, I absolutely had moms in mind. You know, I had that entire subset of, you know, the parenting population in mind, but it didn't take me long at all to realize that. If we only allowed, you know, one partner to come and utilize the clubs, we're not actually showing up for their whole family, you know? So for us, it's every single member of a family, no matter what it looks like, they have access to the club whenever they need it in order to support however their family works, you know? It's not up to us to dictate who gets to go to the office and who uses the club, you know? And that's how we're showing up for every member of the family. Additionally, there's things like, having a nursing suite, you know, having the ability for parents who are nursing or who want to still bond and bottle feed, even though their work requires that they go back, you know, after three months or six weeks or whatever it is in that state. Having that flexibility allows people to maintain their career trajectory, but also meet the goals that they wanted to or that they are looking for. Or in my case, when I had Zoe, I couldn't go back to an office because she would go on a hunger strike if she had to drink out of a bottle. So there were 18 months where she would have starved herself if I did that. So it's things like that where you are showing up for every single member of the family and that's going to help them in the long run too. It's short-term mental health and long-term for everybody. Oh, definitely. I really feel like the first couple months, well, honestly, birth as well, uh, really form they're the building blocks, the foundation of what our parenthood journey is going to be like. And if we feel supported and cared for and yeah, in those just really, really crucial, delicate times, it can help us have such a better experience later because we're not then healing from traumas and all different scars that we've experienced. So yeah, I definitely agree. And on that specific kind of piece of the puzzle as well. There are so many people who don't have support networks built into their daily life. In one of our locations, we have a giant population of military families. They don't have family nearby. You know, they're going to a new place where they don't know anybody every year or two. This is kind of having that support, especially postpartum, 
of a group of people who you know you can talk to. You aren't feeling that very lonely kind of, I know certainly for myself, but I've heard it from, you know, thousands of other women as well. It's a lonely period of time where it's wild and you see these memes where it's like, this is the greatest time of my life, but also this is kind of the lowest that I've felt. And it's the only reason for that is, well, one, obviously there are many people who are predisposed to postpartum depression or anxiety. I certainly experienced that with both of my daughters. And without the support of people who you know you can talk to and who've been through, you know, any different piece of the becoming a parent journey, that's what you're talking about, where you're either going to feel like you've got this and you feel supported and, you know, you feel like you have a village around you or it's lonely, you know? And so we want to alleviate that feeling of loneliness for people without a doubt and also help their partners by helping them look out for different things, you know, helping them notice that no, leaving her at the house for weeks on end, taking care of the baby. It's not a vacation, you know, it's one of the hardest things that a new parent will ever do, you know? And so just keeping an eye out for different things, which you wouldn't know to look for otherwise. And so being able to have other parents who are able to say, have circles and talk about that stuff. It's so important and feeling like you're not alone. It's critical. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I totally, totally agree because it can be so isolating after you have a baby, if you don't have that support network. And, and I get it after having my second one after the pandemic. Oh my gosh. It was so lonely. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah. Pandemic. Yes. Without a doubt. I did not become a parent during the pandemic, but I can only imagine, you know, I think any of us who hadn't still felt super isolated and lonely. So for a brand new parent, I absolutely have so much space for the experience that you all did go through. Yeah. We're now coming through the other end and being like, oh my gosh, <laughs> there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And now that, so we're talking about childcare and obviously, you know, we've been hearing and experiencing, you know, this whole childcare crisis in the U.S. But can you explain what this is to our listeners and what are your thoughts on this topic, especially now that you're in this field? Yeah, the childcare crisis is a giant issue. Essentially, in any different town that you go into, there's going to be usually, you know, three or four kids for every one space at a childcare center. That is obviously having a giant impact on parents' ability to go to work. Additionally, there's the cost. So even if there is a spot, there's a whole lot of parents who would utilize that space, but just simply cannot afford it. And then they stay out of the workforce. I think the numbers, there are so many different studies at this point, which show what the ripple effect of that is and how we're kind of taking steps backwards when we could take them forwards. So the childcare crisis, it has been very, very magnified after COVID. It has been an issue for at least a couple decades now, where the cost has been outpacing what people can afford for sure. But then after COVID, there were something like 100,000 childcare workers, the educators, who didn't come back to center-based care. That specifically is the number one reason why you aren't seeing a huge boom in childcare centers being able to expand. You're seeing lots of them who have to close randomly during different weeks and 
you know, who have to make lots and lots of concessions because the workforce just isn't there. So for me, I look at it from two different lenses. One of them is what we're working on with Moms First and the Department of Commerce and, you know, what they're doing in the CHIPS Act, which is working so, so hard to expand access to childcare. But there's a whole nother piece to that conversation, which is the most critical. And that is putting early childcare educators up on the pedestal that they belong on. And instead of all the stories that you hear now are the pay is equals that of McDonald's, right? If you had a choice, much, much easier job would be going and working somewhere like that. So over the past few years, all these people who, when they were in preschool themselves, started saying that they wanted to take care of kids, people who were born with this whether it's a gene or something that makes them predisposed to, I want to take care of other people's kids. That's a unique and very important instinctual quality for someone to have. We need to get back into a place, and this will get us out of the childcare crisis, along with the public-private support, where we put that career up right next to the brain surgeons and the rocket scientists and those people in our society. You know, it's so important. And I think the conversation needs to start to shift to really include how absolutely critical the people who take care of kids between zero and five are to the entire future health of a generation, you know, setting kids up for a really strong future, supporting their parents. That's the other side of it, of course, but we have to put them back up on that, not back up. We need to get them up into a point where someone could confidently go to college or be working through high school and they could confidently say, absolutely, I'd like to be in early childhood education. They need to see that society values that. They need to see that it is a viable career path for them. And that's ultimately the only way that we're going to get out of this childcare crisis because you can attempt to expand access to childcare as much as you want, but you have to have the people to take care of the kids. So that's the biggest childcare crisis. The biggest piece of the childcare crisis is just getting society and getting everybody to speak and to shout loudly about how important those people who are taking care of their kids are truly in their lives. I mean, even just going in and saying thank you when you're dropping off a kid and saying, you know, helping people feel so seen because they are working in one of the most challenging work environments that there is. So, yeah, that's, I mean, certainly is a childcare crisis definitely are a few different things which need to be done to get us into a healthy position there. For sure. Thank you for sharing that because I couldn't agree more. Uh, Yes. And, you know, I want to know, Britt, what are the biggest benefits that you see from parents who have access to childcare for the whole family? The number one benefit is time. There's two, I would say the two greatest benefits that people can have are time. It's finite. It's priceless. If you get one day back, that's a whole day that you get back, you know, but for people who are being taken care of in that sense where, you know, they are at a a center like Haven where they do take care of the whole family, it's a substantial amount of time that they get back. And that time is time which they can spend however they feel that they need to, you know, and it's really important. The second thing, and I'd say they're both equally important is community. We don't live in the same age as we did, you know, when I was growing up, 
you'd know where all the kids were in the neighborhood after school by where all the bikes were, you know? All the kids could go and you could run and do your thing. And the parents were all, you know, in a community. They would all hang out for the most part. Now we live in a society where there's playdates, you know, there are playdates. And that is definitely the structure which people have set up because we don't live or work the same way as we used to. We work a lot longer. We work a lot harder. And there's more people doing it as far as dual income households go. And so that and then obviously safety and security and all of those different things which have changed over the years are factors. So when someone is able to then not so much recreate, but facilitate the availability of a community during those critical years, that's something which you can take with you for the rest of your life. I mean, there are people who meet each other and you know they're going to be best friends for the rest of their life because they spent you know, three or four years going through things together, you know, and their kids are buddies as well. So to me, that feels like the next generation of that kind of nostalgic community feeling that we had when we were kids. Yeah. Oh, yes, you're right. It has just changed so much since then. But yeah, I do think that what you just mentioned could be the future for the next generation. I love that. And how do you think working parents of young children can not only survive, but thrive? Giving themselves a break, first of all using Instagram less, right? The best way to thrive as a parent, as a new parent, in the absence of obviously the center, like this is separate from, you know, the childcare experience or having family care. I think it all starts in our heads. It all starts in our brains. And I think that we have kind of turned into this society where we're all looking at Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. I don't really look at TikTok, but and just seeing the highlight reels from everybody. And it without a doubt makes people feel like they're not doing enough. And that is what kind of starts that snowball rolling where the snowball is guilt. The snowball is not enoughness. It's keeping up with the Joneses on steroids like we've never seen before. So I genuinely feel like people disconnecting a bit more, that is self-care. That is going to help people see what's in front of them, be able to see, you know, the things which matter and be present and be there and not have to worry about everybody else's highlight reels because really everybody's going through, you know, similar experiences. Some people just choose to share just the, the greatest bits. And that's absolutely at, you know, the heart of, I think, how people can feel great about being parents and thrive and focus on the right things and feel present is disconnect. Yeah. Disconnect via social media, but connect in person. You know, I totally agree. I love that. And what resources would you recommend for families looking to explore different childcare options and solutions? There's different philosophies, which parents can look at. There's reading the why behind Montessori, reading the why behind Reggio Emilia starting to kind of look at the different philosophies, why they exist. Other resources for people to look at community groups, try to start seeking out in-person resources. You know, there are different things where you can look online for stuff lots and you can garner so much knowledge from conversations, you know, like this and other conversations, but really go and look at what's in your neighborhood, you know, look at what opportunities there are to engage because ultimately the best advice people usually get is from people who they feel connected with. And so often that is an in-person experience. 
Very true. Yeah, because it could be very different in one area than another when you're doing your research. So I totally... for sure. But then researching, I mean, researching centers, like we said before, it's just call them, you know, go tour, ask questions, Mm -hmm. research their websites, you know, see what they stand for, all of those things. Perfect. And Britt, do you have any final thoughts or tips that you'd like to leave our audience with? I mean, I think everyone will really benefit most from trying to see what's right in front of them, you know, and to not compare them to other people's, you know, highlight reels and to understand that they can give themselves a break, you know, and they are doing a great job. I think that that at the end of the day is the number one most important thing. Yeah. And then just advocating for early childhood educators. I think that the more that conversation gets going and the more we're able to, as a society, elevate their importance, the better off we're all going to be as far as, you know, the childcare crisis goes and people being able to actually get care, afford care and find it. For sure. Oh gosh. Yes. And Britt, where can our listeners find you? Our website is yourhavenlife.com. And then there's a blog on there with some information, which hopefully will be helpful for people. Haven does have an Instagram. It is not just highlight reels. It's your Haven life. Perfect. This is wonderful. Britt, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your obvious passion for children, for families, child caregivers. We so appreciate all this information. Thank you. I'm so happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Of course. And for our listeners out there to learn more about Britt, you can find her online, as she said, at yourhavenlife.com or on Instagram at yourhavenlife. Our team will be posting today's episode on Baby Chick's Facebook page. So if you have any questions or comments about our discussion, please share them with us in the comments section. And as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us an honest review. Cheers to caring for the whole family. 